Welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Podcast, everyone, the podcast where we discuss all the disgusting things we love in the horror world. And to discuss the disgusting, you know her as lead movie critic for Bloody Disgusting, horror movie fanatic and journalist Megan Navarro. Hey, Megan. Hello. And this time I'm going to say I'm John because I forgot <laughs> to even say that I'm a part of this podcast until a half hour in last episode. Yeah, I was waiting. I, was, I wasn't going to let that slip by this time. <laughs> the third member of our dark trio, Zena Dixon, is still out on a much-needed break, so we've asked Matt Donato to join us this week. If you're a regular reader of Bloody Disgusting, you'll know Matt as the Revenge of the Remakes columnist, where he regularly examines a remake to see what worked and what didn't about its approach. He's also the co-host of the Certified Forgotten Podcast and a contributor to Fangoria, IGN, and Slash Films. Welcome, Matt. Thank you for having me. A longtime listener, first-time co-host. Gah! <laughs> Very clever. Uh, we usually start every episode with a mailbag, but we're going to start with our internal mailbag for you to get to know our guest host this week. So uh, let's start at the beginning. Where, where did you start? What is your horror origin story? My origin story yeah. is is long, uh, and I won't bore your <laughs> listeners with too much of it, but the quick synopsis is I grew up in a household that was not very horror forward, so my journey began much later than I think that a lot of people uh, I talk to in the horror community, and basically it started around the time of being terrified of Child's Play and Chucky. Uh, Chucky was my nemesis for a very long time in horror, and also, like I said, I grew up in a household where it wasn't really appreciated and where like horror was a scary thing it was a bad thing so i didn't watch horror until really high school that was when i first started dabbling and i know how that feels yeah exactly so like you start later all your friends have already started watching horror and also i didn't find those friends who watched horror until high school so starting there alone i i kind of waded in i didn't really jump headfirst until college and college was where i really came into my own of realizing that horror was more than just what the preconceptions are and the stereotypes and all the things that outsiders tell you it is because I was an outsider for a little bit and I was a scared outsider, especially like I had a lot of anxiety and a lot of all these things growing up. So horror to me was this thing I didn't want to tackle because I liked my comfort zone. I didn't like being scared and all of that switched in college. And all of a sudden I watched a movie like, I think I really cite record uh, REC, however you pronounce it as that first horror movie that turned me onto the genre in a way that made me an obsessor. Like I realized that horror could have messages, the, like all of these things that were baked into a horror film outside of just a few scares. So for me, I will say my origin then, even though Chucky was my was my arch rival for a long time, and I, he is now my favorite slasher, I can say that proudly. Um, I, I think Wreck is my origin that really turned me into the writer and appreciator and fan that I am today. What uh, would you say is your favorite? subgenre of horror i i want to say it's a 50 50 toss-up because i do want to give both subgenres their due but number one found footage i i, I, I adore found footage <laughs> horror it, mentioning wreck was with purpose like that 100 percent was meant to be like i love this subgenre i think when it's done right it is the scariest subgenre because what else is scarier than being in a horror movie essentially and having these things in your face and i say when it's done right because if you adore the found footage genre, then you know that there's a lot of found footage movies that don't really do it right. And they become the movies that unfortunately a subgenre is known for. Uh, like, you know, the bottom of the barrel is the ones that people throw around being like, oh, found footage is garbage. It's just people running around with shaky cam. And here's a bunch of reasons why. And I'm like, cool, that's right. Those exist. But like as any subgenre, there are many phenomenal examples. And the phenomenal ones are the ones that like stick with me more than most. But 
on the other side of the coin, I am the horror comedy guy, straightforward. I like to laugh when I'm scared. I love a silly, wacky horror movie that you can watch with friends and pizza and beers. Like that is the ideal watching scenario with me. I, I love to get scared. I love the psychological stuff, but give me Return of the Living Dead, Reanimator, Demon Wind, anything of that in that range and give it to me at midnight and put me in a theater with like fucking booze and like anything else you can have pizza, in that beer. realm. Pizza, beer, booze, I, like whatever it is. I just want to have fun. So that that is that is where the other side of me, and that's the clash of like found footage seriousness and crazy wackadoo zombie comedy horror stuff. That's me. Oh, Megan, you're stuck with two Johns this week? <laughs> Did I describe you? Yeah, th- those, are, those are uh, very much his, his brands, too. But on that note of brands, I do want to dig into a little bit because you are across so many different outlets, uh, kind of the champion of horror underdogs to the point where you will watch the stuff that nobody usually does. Uh, Krampus 8.5, all of the crazy things you will watch and and weed out the gems, Um, which I also think might be kind of the genesis of your podcast, right? Certified Forgotten exists to kind of champion the movies that have five or less uh, reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. So just kind of curious how that started for you. What made you decide that you were going to, to kind of inflict uh, torture upon yourself in some time, you know, some respects? I think the biggest reason is if, if we want to make it personal, uh, I've been the underdog most of my life and I have been counted out most of my life in that kind of ways. And it's just how I view things that everything deserves its fair shot. And it, the horror genre is built. Sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, is that that includes Baby Frankenstein, right? I, I genuinely like Baby Frankenstein. And that's the thing. Like, people, think it's a, like, people think it's a gimmick. But I'm like, no, you, you have to give these movies a chance that I get it. They have low budget. I get it. They don't look like the theatrical films that we see on a day-to-day basis. But the horror genre itself is built on independent filmmaking. And, and I stand by that. Like, when theater shut down during quarantine and all these things... The horror genre is the one genre that kept churning out new movies like nothing mattered, like not, like nothing happened, because horror makes so much money. Or sorry, doesn't make so much money. I take that back. Horror makes so much of an influence on VOD and, and not theatrical, because that is the spirit of horror in itself. Like, we all love this genre that no one else really loves. We're all going to go out and do it. We don't care if we don't have the studio backing of that nature. And as a horror filmmaker, just you look every week. Like, how many new horror films come out week to week on VOD? And once again, going back to the idea that the pandemic basically pushed Candyman, Antlers, and all these other movies that were theatrical outside of the realm of being able to see it, well, what filled in? The movies that were always there. And it's like, I think people started to appreciate, at at least when they were the only option, like, oh, these movies are always there. We just kind of don't really talk about them because we get so obsessed with talking about Halloween Kills when it comes out. And that becomes the discourse for an entire month. And it's like, do you know how many other movies came out in that month that we didn't talk about? And especially better slasher films alone that came out in that month that we didn't talk about? Stuff like, like, I could go on a, a whole tirade about that alone. So it's like, that is the impetus in a way. And it, you know, you bring up the podcast too, and, and that goes back to film festivals. These movies that play a film festival and they slay, you know? But film festivals are a bunch of critics usually and, and real devoted fans. So someone has to champion those movies too. Like, and, and it sounds ridiculous because a movie like Tigers Are Not Afraid, we all know of, we all talk about, we all love it. But outside the mainstream, nobody else does know about it. Like 
Shutter only has a million whatever subscribers, uh, and it goes to a Shutter. And once again, everyone in the know knows about it. But there has to be like a way to get outside the net. We have to realize that the horror community is so like burst we're that so ni- exactly we are a bubble. That's the exact way to put it. So we have to burst that bubble. And yeah, I, like if I have to be the one that watches Pizza Party Massacre and gives it zero stars, that's fine because when I find a baby Frankenstein that I'm actually legitimately excited about, at least someone is out there championing it. And I don't know. It's just the idea that horror only matters on the big screen or horror only has a certain worth if it has this budget. And it's bullshit. You know, like that, that is completely bullshit. It's about storytelling. It's about conveying a story. So if you can do that on $10,000 or a hundred million, it doesn't really matter to me. Oh, well, great. And uh, where, where's the best place that listeners can uh, find you and ask you about baby Frankenstein and all of the other goodies they should be looking out for. The best place you can find me is at Donato Palm on Twitter, Letterboxd, and Instagram. I will be, you know, as, as Megan alluded to, I have many sites that I write for at this point. Uh, if you try to track me on sites, it's going to be a real hard task. I have a site on Authory, which is a wonderful writer's resource that will aggregate and put everything that I have written into a single place. So if you are a writer, I suggest getting into Authory to have it as your author page. Uh, and if you just want to follow me, my name is Matt Donato there too. So you'll get everything across the social medias in my Authory. Awesome. First question. No calls this week. They came straight from email. First up, hey, horror gurus. We're gurus now. I like hey. that. I'll take it. Dark Trio is my favorite though. Yes. Although I do still like Horse Pond. <laughs> you can be our Horse Pond, Peggy. I will. Now that the latest season of Dragula has concluded on Shudder, I want to hear what your drag names would be if you were on the show. Sorry, that was from Charles. Also, what would each of you do for the horror part of the floor show? P.S. Thank you for recommending I'm Dangerous tonight. Unfortunately, it isn't available on streaming. Once it is, I'll check it out. All right, Megan, I need help on this one. I haven't watched Dragula yet, so I'm not quite sure the format here. Okay, so it is the fourth season is on Shudder, and I watched this for the first time. got an out account so I could go back and watch the first three seasons, which I haven't done yet, but I am addicted. It's a drag queen reality competition show but with a horror spin so it is so addictive and you've got these mega talented queens that uh are doing horror things it's like beauty filth glamour horror is kind of like the mantra that runs through it in every episode there's like a mini challenge sometimes that may be uh boule brothers the host judges tasking them with eating garlic and blood the fastest so they get a leg up in the competition but then there's yeah it's fun uh and then there's usually some really elaborate show that's themed per week they don't always as john's face is completely repulsed they don't always do that i think the first episode is them going through a haunted house and being terrorized and that was fun um but yeah it's usually some kind of themed uh show in you know to show off their drag so like a psycho beach party or you know aliens or something so So what's the horror part of the floor show mean well it's basically what would given it our spin is how i'm interpreting this question so for example because i thought about this and i'm not nearly as talented or as creative as these queens on the show but i think uh my drag name what i came up with is edna Quist instead of Eddie Quist, and I would like to do a, a werewolf transformation. 
like an actual onstage werewolf transformation. I don't know how I'd pull that off, but I figured I could somehow kind of like D Wallace stone or, you know, Eddie Quist. So that's, that's kind of where I went with this. I cheated and had to find a drag name generator okay. on Google. I, I, I'll and according, go according to the drag name generator, I am Madam Ornacia Beaverhausen. <laughs> I love it. There was um, a Sigourney Beaver on season four. I was really trying ah, to so think close. of uh, something like that, but I'm just not that clever. I needed more time. Oh, shoot. Yeah. See, if I had known that, I would have tried to. You could do, nope. I could it's... see you doing some kind of drag version of the Blair Witch. Jamie Killer Spree Curtis. There you go. There was a cute pig, this is a tangent, but there was a cute pig up for adoption at a local shelter. And they got the pig in October, so they named it Jamie Wee Curtis. We, a little insight into the Minnesota lifestyle. We have a... We have a triple-A baseball team here called the Saints, and the Saints mascot is a pig. And every year there's a contest in the local papers to name said pig. So, and I think the year, the one that I always remember is the year that Prince died. The pig, they named the pig Little Red Porkette. Aww. But it's always some pig-related name, and it's always very cute, and I love the, the Saints love teams. They're a lot names, of fun. But I also yeah. love drag names so you know matt i mean I've, I've always been obsessed with the name muffy saint john as a horror character name so if i do want to make it a drag name and like make it my own it would be muffy saint don for donato so my, <laughs> there's my drag name and obviously if i'm having to do something as a floor show it's going to involve uh heavy metal and horror in some way so maybe stage I am, fright. It'd be like stage yeah, fright for you. It'd be like stage fright, maybe, but or like maybe not. Uh, like you know, maybe Black Roses or something of that nature. Oh maybe. yes. I was thinking like literally heavy metal harder horror, and uh, yes. you know, I could play guitar. So maybe it's something along the nature of playing guitar and like that. You would fit right in with Dragula because that is apparently a regular theme every season. Is they do like a monster rock episode, and I love that. I live for that. So, yeah. That's my that episode a, right there. That was a fun question. Nice. Second question from Augustine on Facebook. Have you guys ever been to a haunted house or place? Or if not, is there any you'd want to go to? Personally, I'd like to go to a very haunted place, and I probably don't mind getting possessed. <laughs> Good to know. It's a dedication. Yeah. Uh, let's start with you, Matt. Have you ever been to an actual haunted location? I have never been to an actual haunted location. I would like to visit the Queen Mary out here uh, mm. in California because I think there is something deeply scary about being in a haunted location that can also just float in isolation at sea. Uh, you're just stuck there. You're in these like steel corridors and everything's echoey. And like, you know, the sound that those make. And I don't, I don't know. Something is deeply unsettling about that scenario, but like, I love haunts. Uh, so this October, when I could go outside, when before things were what they are again, um, I was doing a lot of haunts and doing a lot of, especially interactive, immersive haunts. And it, it made me want to go to actual scary places uh, because I always was like, I don't know how I deal with that scenario and just like walking around with a tour guide even. But we did this one haunt and it was called Delirium, I believe. And you get put into a horror movie, essentially. And you're getting dragged around this dilapidated like crumbling apart house that is so cool 
And like, I got put in the closet at one point, somebody else got put in the basement. They have the ghosts like walking around and pulling you out and doing all these things. And I'm like, I might be able to encounter a ghost now in real life. I don't know. <laughs> People are scarier than ghosts sometimes. Probably exactly. a lot of times. Yeah. People are the real monsters. Yeah. How about you, Megan? Funny enough, I have been to the Queen Mary and they have a really cute haunted tour that takes any possible fear out of it because it's just so cutesy. Uh, and I have also, I don't know if it's supposed to be haunted or not. It just seems like it's a place that would be, but the Paris catacombs, uh, mm. I've been there. And the Craig Derrick Castle where uh, in Victoria, BC, where they filmed the boy movies also. Mm. Yeah, I'm really bad because I like the idea of haunted locations but i am not really i'm a little bit skeptic so i'm like they're cute uh i do want to go to the stanley hotel in colorado my wife and i were literally just talking about it it's very expensive right now yeah you john though it's, the, it's ski season oh yeah but have you been to any uh i've been like i've been to alcatraz um i i just missed out on going to the winchester house the last time i was in san jose which i was bummed out about uh, there's a house in Minnesota up in Duluth called the Glensheen Mansion that's supposedly haunted, but it's really just this really beautiful old mansion that's a tourist attraction that everyone, that people go to because it's just beautiful. And some people like just know that there's supposedly a ghost because there was a murder that happened back in like the seventies. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of the same thing. Like, I'm like, I, I wouldn't even think about it. Like I, I would do the ghost tours or whatever and I'd be like, all right. Yeah. And then I just go to sleep. You know, my wife is much more of a I wouldn't say believer. She's just she was raised Catholic. So oh. I think she's just afraid. So haunted vodka is out. Yeah, haunted vodka's out. Although I did get to see the bottle in person this weekend. How did you know uh, somebody I, you know got it? I gave it to uh, I gave a bottle to one of my friends oh. just so it could exist. Oh, and you're and that we could make area. okay. That we could make bloody Marys out of someday. Oh yeah. We'll see. I expect a full report. It'll be like the tequila yeah. worm in Poltergeist 2. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Wait, is it actual did... haunted vodka? What is going on here? Yeah. Yeah, so uh, Harg Hardigan's, I think, vodka or Harrigan's vodka. What they did was, uh, I want to say, I can't remember how many bottles they'd had. It was like 120 bottles or something. And they put uh, a third of them in the house from the, the original Conjuring. They put a third of them in, like, an abandoned, condemned asylum, and they put a third of them in this house in Iowa where these this axe murder, like, happened. And they left them there for, like, a week, and then they sold them to people. As haunted and, like, some vodka. Of the yeah. And, like, they, it comes in, like, this wooden box, like, lined with velvet, but they, like, give you gloves with it, so you're handling it, like, not with your bare hands and... I, I just appreciated the theatrics of it. I, as much I as agree. Anything else. I agree. And, but my wife refused to let me buy one. <laughs> She's like, it's not coming in this house. We, we were prepared. Like, we were prepared to get that. Oh, uh, I was ready. I had the timer on my phone for when they went on sale. I was ready, and it wasn't happening. <laughs> Seven people just started writing that screenplay. Like, literally, anyone who just heard that is writing that screenplay right now. <laughs> if it's not happening now, I don't. It's How could you not? Of course you should. It's spirits. It literally writes itself. It's a bottle of spirits. All right. If you listen to this podcast on a Wednesday when the episode drops, we hope your week's been filled with all the best kinds of horror. And if not, we're going to do our quick round the table for the movies, books, games, or anything else in horror that are making the three of us smile right now. 
Maybe there'll be things that'll make you smile too. So Megan, what's been filling your heart this week? Scream. Uh, uh. Yeah, I. It, it comes out in theaters on Friday. I am not going to say a word about this other than Thank you. it is 25 years after the original murders in Woodsboro. A new killer emerges. That's it. And that's literally all the plot that I, you know, get into in my review, too. So if you're worried about spoilers, you will not find them here or anywhere near Bloody Disgusting. Um, I loved it. Uh, I thought, it, I mean, it gave me all the feels. I you know, love this franchise so much. So I am an easy mark. Uh, and I do, you know, feel like I should throw out the obvious, which is it's theaters only. You are an adult who can make your own decisions, but be careful. Uh, it will, I'm positive, uh, come to VOD. Well, yeah, VOD or something. Paramount Plus. I don't, they haven't announced it yet, but it, there's always like a 45 day window at this point, sometimes shorter. So if you're, desperately worried that it's going to get spoiled before it comes. I feel like this one, the window will be short because they don't want those spoilers out there. So, cause it's in theaters Friday, this Friday, right? This the Friday. 14th. Correct. Yeah. And my wife is out of town and I feel like she'd be upset if I went without her. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can see it next week though. There you, there you go. So, uh, yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that. And then I appreciate that. You're welcome. I don't want any spoilers. I, Anytime I scroll past something online that says scream, like I'm not even going to look. Yeah. I, don't I care. I went in as fresh as I possibly could too, you know, given that I write about horror. So I tried my best to go in fresh and I tried my damnedest to make sure that I preserve that for everybody else when I'm writing about it. So yeah, that's all you, I don't even think I mentioned any cast members names in the review. That's how ridiculous i got about it so you're welcome nice. um and then also coming out friday this time on netflix i watched uh archive 81 it is an eight episode series based on a podcast in which an archivist is hi hired to restore a collection of tapes uh he finds himself reconstructing the work of a filmmaker uh, a documentary filmmaker and her investigations into a dangerous cult that's uh was back in the 90s so it's present day and 90s timelines overlapping uh there's a lot of talent behind this one i'm not familiar with the podcast i know that john is um but it's mm -hmm. executive produced by james wan it's a show run by one of the executive producers of the boys one of my favorite series uh justin benson and aaron moorhead direct a couple episodes um, it's got a really great cast. It does a really good thing because a lot of what's uh, unveiled is on the tapes in the 90s. So it's almost found footage -y in a way. It's not found footage, but it conceptually kind of is. So the episodes kind of jump around. It's not as linear as you would think. And that kind of lends to this conspiracy theory rabbit hole feeling uh, the sound design is amazing, uh, and the distortion of reality gets really twisty and mind-bendy, too. So I really like it to a point. Uh, it starts to lose me in the back half, so it's it's really good stylistically and aesthetically, but it kind of loses steam in the last two back, back half-ish and uh, ends a little too tidily for me. But I definitely say check it out because it is very interesting. Yeah, I'm very curious to see how this will translate to to actually being like live performance versus because it was 
like audio drama obviously being audio yeah. the emphasis on audio and it weighs even heavier on the audio side as far as podcasting is concerned because it and it's fantastic sound design so i'm glad to hear that that part translated to the adaptation as well and i think it goes without saying that i hope that it's amazing and people start buying up all the old audio drama properties that they possibly can i will give you a good rate yeah, I'm happy you've had the uh, found footage disclaimer there because I'd seen on Twitter that it was being billed as found footage. So knowing now that, that it's not really fully, yeah. it, it helps me going into it. Yeah, it's it's not. I mean, I think it's easy to be like, well, he's watching tapes, but it's slickly done. You could look at the present day and even when it's going back in the tapes, it quickly loses that lo-fi aesthetic as it goes into her actual storyline. So, yeah, it's not found footage. But yeah, what did you watch or read or play or whatever, Matt? So this week I am going to highlight two titles. And the first one is going to be Norway, which was released a few weeks ago through Vinegar Syndrome on their new uh, sub-label Terrorvision, which is part run by Mr. Brad Henderson, who is a friend of mine. And Brad is doing good work over there trying to find these movies that, once again, talking about the lower budget and talking about movies that went to festivals and didn't come out, so Norway actually was the first movie I ever saw at Fantastic Fest, my first year. So first ever Fantastic Fest movie. I read a review. I loved it. And it has not been distributed until a few weeks ago through Terrorvision. So it has been absolutely sitting around. It's a Greek movie that just didn't find the right audience here in America, I guess. And it just never did anything. So finally out, finally out of Vinegar Syndrome. And it is, here's how I'll describe it. It's hard to describe because it is this weird mixture of like uh, Michelle Gondry or Charlie Kaufman, if you're thinking about like Schenectady, New York, things like that, that are really abstract in a way. Uh, a little bit of the lure in there. Uh, you're going to get oh. a lot of aesthetic, a lot of aesthetic things to the lore, but it's a vampire movie. And it's a vampire movie about a vampire who basically thinks if he stops dancing, he will die. So he is going through these bringing up the lore again, these like club environments, these more musically themed environments. And it looks so seedy, underbelly, kind of lounge lizard-esque. And I just, I adore every like minute of it with my fiber of being. It is so much fun to watch. It is so much fun to just kind of coast through. I, there's even like, you know, if you're thinking about it as a vampire movie, think more Only Lovers Left Alive and those really kind of loungy vampire movies, except with this like Euro trash kind of filter over it. Go look for Norway. I, I know it's not going to be for everyone, but I guarantee you it is the one movie you won't expect ever to exist, and I'm so happy it does. When was the movie made? Uh, 2014 is when it played Fantastic oh, okay. Fest, so I think it was made actually like a few years before that even. Oh, okay. Dancing yeah, vampire. it's been sitting around. Dancing vampire. Dancing Greek vampires. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that just sells itself. Yeah. Exactly. And also I'm quoted on the box. So like, yeah, of course, <laughs> like, of course, you know, you gotta, you gotta promote it. Like Megan keeps go. talking about underwater. And yeah. That's, underwater that's the sole reason. Movie. That's it. It is a great movie. Uh, okay. And then my number two, this is a movie that everybody knows, but I'm bringing it up because I am admitting that I watched it for the first time literally today, but I have now watched the lost boys for the first time ever. <laughs> And it Whoa. has taken me this long. I agree. 
But again, going back to the idea that uh, everyone has different journeys into horror and some people get in later than others, I, my backlog is great. You know, I, I did so great when I started watching horror and like keeping up with everything from the year I started writing, especially. I have seen so much, as Megan has said, but I didn't have that upbringing of like a brother or a sister or like parents who showed me horror growing up. So I have a list of movies like The Lost Boys that I have not seen yet that I am as a 32 year old now going through and like experiencing for the first time and I'm adoring every minute of it. I, I Lost Boys is great. Great. I feel like John and you could be siblings now because there's so much uh, in sync. I feel like, wasn't The Lost Boys your horror origin, John? It was one of them, right? It was a little bit traumatic for you when you were younger. Uh, not traumatic. You made fun of me because I could still see how people would be scared by it. Oh. <laughs> you and Zena thought that was hilarious. <laughs> no, my early trauma was Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Oh, okay. The Dream Warrior is like when he's playing the when he's the marionette oh, scene. Yes. When you know you're like 12 years old and you never watch horror and that's the first thing you see, whether it's on local TV or not, it's it'll mess you up. I I do have to ask though, Matt, as somebody who is coming into this for the first time, now an adult, far removed from the 80s, what what did you think of some of it? Like Sax Man. Sa I mean, ah. brilliant. Saxman is an icon, <laughs> an icon of a generation. He's uh, everything we should aspire to be. But I'm I, in I, no way knocking the movie because I adore The Lost Boys. So, no, I'm no, just curious. I, I think that's very, it's an interesting point to make because exactly, I am coming into this much later. And especially, you know, maybe if I watched this younger, I would have found it a little scary. Because, like, I mean, they let vampires be mean and vicious in a way that other vampire movies kind of take a step back from. And you have the feral kind of primitive nature of them and the blood and all these things. But so they bleed glitter. They do, That was okay. I pointed that out <laughs> and I laughed at it and I wanted to make sure I wasn't crazy for saying You're that. You're not crazy. It's no, it's a great touch. And it's, it is so overtly eighties and so like gaudy at moments. Again, talking Death about the glitter. By stereo. But it's such a nice little throwback in the way that it is living in this era and just loving every minute of it. It doesn't feel like a parody. It doesn't feel like anything of that nature. So to me, it's like a time capsule. Like, I don't look back on these movies and say, like, oh, anything in the 80s is dumb because we have better technology now and we have better blah, blah, blah. Like, no, these these are fun little moments in horror. And these are especially, like, entertaining looks. It's historical in a way. Like, to say, like, this is part of horror history. Things have evolved since then. But you can't make a movie like Lost Boys now. We're not getting the Lost Boys now. We're getting a no. remake of it that will look completely different. It's going to be but... totally different, yeah. Yeah, you can't capture the earnestness that they had in the time that they were celebrating the moment. They're creating this time capsule. Exactly. So that's me. That's that's how I like going through this journey. And like, it's fun to live in a different era, but appreciate it as a 32-year-old who now looks at horror in a different way, too. Because this, I definitely wasn't looking at horror in a certain way back then. So I feel like I'm more accepting and appreciative now. And I'm happy I'm seeing classics now in that mindset. I love this journey for you. It's my journey. I, because I read Jaws last week, I was like, you know what? I got to watch it again. Uh -oh. It's been, it's been a few months. I figured I probably should watch it again. So I, I don't think, I don't even remember the last time I talked about this on the show. If ever, I'm sure I have, but 1975's Jaws, which I just, I own on Amazon. When a killer shark unleashes chaos on a beach community off Long Island, it's up to a local sheriff, a marine biologist, and an old seafarer to hunt the beast down. I love this movie so much. It doesn't matter how many times I see it. It's 
the the chemistry and, and lack thereof between the actors, you know, obvious anyone who's a fan of Jaws or has spent any time hearing any of the stories about production, just this production that lasted forever. And it was plagued by difficulties. The the fact that the movie looks the way it does is because everything went wrong and it turned into this classic. But part of it is Robert Shaw and Richard Dreyfus basically hating each other. Like they, Robert Shaw just constantly was drunk, just drinking. His, his shooting schedule was very truncated because they had to fly him in and out of the country because of like tax evasion. And it was all just a total mess. And it turned into this gold that actually mirrors the book really well, the way that Hooper and Quint's personalities clash. Because Quint hates Hooper in the book, too. Yeah. So I can't quite figure out if Shaw read the book and he's like, I'm going to go all in on this. Or if Shaw as a person really didn't like Richard Dreyfus, who... I looked up all the ages of the actors when it was being filmed because I was curious. And Richard Dreyfus was only 28. Because it's funny because they refer to him as Young Buck when he's, like, getting on the dock. And I'm like, how old is Richard Dreyfus here? <laughs> like, he's almost got a full gray beard. Oh, my God, he's 28? Like, I wouldn't think he was young if I saw him. I wouldn't go that far. But it's just everything that the book, everything that they took out of the book to make the movie, mm -hmm. they did perfectly. When they're taking out that characterization, like the way that things progress on the beach with the Kittner kid and everything else, like the timeline is completely different for how long these attacks are happening and the politics around everything. The adaptation in, for me is perfect. The, what they took from the book to make that movie. And I won't say that this is an example of the movie being better than the book, but I 100% understand why people would say that. Yeah. To me, they're two very different entities that stand on their own for different reasons. The vermouth. Like I said, it's last, the vermouth, isn't it? It's the vermouth. They're, they drink so much vermouth in the book. It's unbelievable. And they just, they nail that small town feel that doesn't exist in the movie. They talk about, oh, you're going to close us down and everything. But the town knows this and they take the chance of opening the beach anyway. Whereas in the book, it's behind closed doors that they decide to do this. And the concept of this town is really suffering for what's going on is way heavier in the book. And they're like, yeah, we're not going to do any of that. <laughs> and that's fine. Like they made their own choices and it totally works. I love it. It's again, one of my favorites. I'm sure I'll watch it again within the next month. And then one I hadn't seen for the longest time. So I bought it on DVD just because I used to have it and I think I sold it or gave it away. Oh, and then never. I found out it's also then I found out it's also on AMC Plus. And Shutter. <laughs> yeah, and I, I have those. Is 2001's Brotherhood of the Wolf in 18th century France. I'm 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 gonna pause. I can't pronounce anything in France or in French. <laughs> you can so... do it. <laughs> I, oh. I have a hard enough time with English. <laughs> That's Wait, do, you, do your French again, Megan? Oh. <laughs> so bad. No, Wonderful. Don't. Just pepper that yeah. in. That's speaking French. There you go. Perfect. That's it. No, I learned that from Ratatouille. There you there. go. <laughs> in 18th century France, the Chevalier de Fronsac and his Native American friend Manny are sent to... Thank you. Are sent to the Gévaudan province. <laughs> At the king's behest to investigate the killings of hundreds by a mysterious beast. 
So this is a movie I originally bought, I think in 2001 when it came out, sight unseen. I think I'd seen the trailer Mm. and it looked amazing. And this and Jason X, I bought at the exact same time from Best Buy. Could not be further removed in style. It could not be further removed. And I was so unhappy with both. At the time. Yeah, Hold on. Brotherhood of the Wolf had to grow on me. Whoa. I'm mad, I'm mad about Jason X, don't worry. <laughs> it's okay. Most I'm mad people about are. Brotherhood of the Wolf. I saw this one in theaters and I was like, oh. It, in hindsight, and some people might want, calling it j- horror, I think is appropriate. I think it should be called horror. It's classified in horror, I think, online. It, like, it's Wikipedia not really outright horror, but it's not no. one that I think anyone outside of horror will embrace as much as horror fans. Yeah, it's like it's a horror action period piece. Yeah. So good luck with that genre. Monica Bellucci plays a hook, a hot hooker. Yeah, super hot hooker. So it's and uh, it's the first time I saw Vincent Cassell in a movie. And then after that, all of a sudden I see him in like Ocean's Twelve. I'm like, (gasps) (laughs) (laughs) I know him. And it was like I was a huge Mark DaCosta fan like before this. Like, I remember seeing Only the Strong. I think I owned Only the Strong way back when. So seeing him in, like, John Wick 3, I'm like, okay, now you've seen him in John Wick 3. Now go watch Brotherhood of the Wolf. And all of these things, it still blows my mind that he was in uh, Iron Chef. Yeah. What are you doing? A master. An absolute master of craft. Well, and they were saying that he was, like, the the nephew of the original, like, uh, Kitchen Stadium. Uh Oh. I, I don't know. I don't know if any of that's true. I don't know. But, but yeah, I know it's, I think it's, I, I, I like so when, weird when he genre things too. cross over into food. It's cool. Sure. I'll take it. And, but Brotherhood of the Wolf, it's, it's basically, it's this period piece about this wolf is killing all these people in 18th century France. And it's actually like Fransac, who's the main character, has this really complicated backstory. He was a knight. And he's in like a naturalist and he's like a taxidermist and he's he's all these things. Jack of all trades. And very much so. And he's trying to unravel this mystery and it's very complicated. The action in it is so phenomenal. The fight choreography, you know, it, it was around, you know, like the Matrix time when people were really starting to see what like action choreography could look like on screen that wasn't Van Damme or Steven Seagal or something. And it, it was more of like the like Japanese and like the or like like Eastern filmmakers. Tiger yeah, had yeah. a lot of influence, I think. I think it was the same fight choreographer. Oh, okay, then there you um, go. And it's just it's it's gorgeous to watch. It's yes, it's in French, so you can watch it subtitled. I I think I originally watched it with a dubbed version. Uh, that was back in the time when I didn't want to read, and sometimes I still don't, but. I have a hard time watching dubbed movies now because they're usually not done very well or they're done inaccurately. It really you ever watch you ever watch a dubbed movie with the subtitles and they don't match up? Oh yeah, they cannot. Like, I don't even how does that happen? But you have the words. It works because the seventh curse dubbed is amazing for That's, very specific it reason. Uh huh. But sometimes it doesn't because like uh Dick Moss's scent. I watched it dubbed and I, I hated it. I actually like I gave it a negative review and then I rewatched it subtitled for a podcast because I'm like Christmas horror. Yes, I'll give it another shot. And like subtitled, I'm like, 
yeah, what was I doing? Like, it was a time when I would give dubs a shot, and I was like, no, absolutely not. Like, this is why this is why you go subtitle every time. Yeah, I get distracted by the mouth being completely out of sync with right. the sound. Yeah. But this one, I can't really get too into it because it's kind of complicated. Yeah. Um, And I'm not going to try and explain it. But it's on AMC Plus and Shutter, which I don't think it it, it must have been recent or it was just hidden on the scrolls because I hadn't seen it. It's until recent. Like after I bought it. It's very recent it, that they put it on streaming. I swear, and I'm sure everybody thinks the same thing. The moment I buy something, it shows up on streaming. Everybody thinks that. It's, it's not just you. It's amazing how many times on Twitter I see. Well, I just bought an import, which means that a new uh, special edition it's, is coming yeah. out. Yep. In which case, uh, thank you but, all for your services. Yeah, we reap the benefits. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So if you want to expand your horizon to some period piece French 18th century French action horror, high, high, high recommend. Uh, I would watch the subtitle version if you can, but still check it out. I think it's totally worth it. Um, yeah, fantastic movie. And then... Uh, this week, I'm continuing reading. I'm so proud of myself. I've been reading for like two straight weeks. Uh, I am reading The Exorcist, the original novel. The 1971 classic by William Peter Blatty, detailing the demonic possession of 11-year-old Regan McNeil, the daughter of a famous actress, and the two priests who attempt to exorcise the demon. I'm only halfway through the book, so spoilers. Uh, oh, and I did fit. And I did finish Jaws, and what Trey said last week about how it just kind of ends is accurate. <laughs> like, it's like, did you message build, build, him build, build, to compare end. notes? Uh, I did. Okay. I messaged him and let him know. <laughs> and it's funny because it was kind of a writer after my own heart. Like, I spent all this time building up to this, like, build, 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 build. I'm tired. Let's just be done. <laughs> I don't want to write all this stuff after the big thing happens. I'll just be done. Uh, the Exorcist novel. Um, I was really surprised and I think I'm going to, my intention wasn't to read a horror novel and then watch the movie. It just, it just Jaws, happened. I just wanted to watch Jaws. It just happened. Now I want to watch the movie again because I feel like the novel is staying really true to the movie. I um, have not read the book since high school, but I remember... That I, I'm trying to remember when, because it was really creepy. I think there were a couple of things that were slightly more extended than in the movie mm -hmm. that were really, really good. Like the spider walk thing creeped me out. Did... Yeah. So the spider walk, I feel the spider walk thing happens at the end of a chapter. Okay. And they only talk about it briefly, but there is like a little bit more detail than what they end up showing in the movie. Yeah. And probably because of the pain that they were putting her through to do it. Oh, yeah. But the only things, the main difference is because there's the opening to the movie that I remember, and maybe this is an extended cut or whatever, when it starts over in the Middle East mm -hmm. with Max von Sydow, it's not in the book. I'm not really sure why that became a part of the movie. If if it'll be like a flashback in later in the book, I don't know. I don't remember. But I'm pretty impressed at how close everything's staying like, obviously, there's a lot of details left out about the relationships that are built stronger in the book. but You shouldn't be too surprised, considering William Peter Blatty was heavily involved in the production. He was heavily involved. Well, the the book and the book version I have of Jod, uh, Peter Benchley, like, had notes for the original screenplay. Like, in the book version I have, like, he's got all these notes of, like, 
while a real scuba diver wouldn't have a beard like because it'd be like ridiculous what all this stuff for like richard dreyfus and yeah it, it shouldn't surprise me and at the same time it kind of does because of how close the adaptation is i feel like we don't see that that much so I think that's very hard to do i mean i think so too yeah I mean, the whole thing about like reading a book and envisioning things in your head versus seeing them on screen, you know, I, I feel mm-hmm. like a, a novel is going to give you more ability to really ex- extend the ex- explanations that you just said on certain scenes. I think about a lot of the times when I saw Jurassic Park and The Lost World, and then I read Crichton's books, and I went back to rewatch those movies. I mean, like, Crichton is so much darker and gnarlier. Like, he's writing mm-hmm. horror, basically, as like Jurassic Park and Lost World are horror as he writes it. But what we get is more adventure. And it's always interesting to see, like, the bones are there because they are great stories. But when you're making a movie, you have to think about other things. You have to think about the idea that, like, all right, Jurassic Park can be marketable to a wider audience. Let's not make the scary ver- scarier version. Let's just make the more, you know, ruckus, having fun version. And especially The Lost World, he gets into such graphic details with some of the deaths that, like, go on for an entire page that are just three-second things in in the movie. Because, like... When you kill somebody in a movie, it's just happening. But when you describe how gnarly that death is and all the gross details and, like, the raptor claw making an incision across the stomach and, like, intestines spilling out, like, yeah, you get a little little more. Yeah, the image you put in your head is just... It's it's why it's always going to be a different experience, and if you are the closer you can be to that adaptation, it's like Megan said, like, it doesn't happen that often because it is so hard to do, but the best adaptations do stay pretty st- like stellar especially for the exorcist when like it's a beloved novel and you're just like cool we just need to make sure this happens on screen people will will enjoy it the big thing is is they don't say the word somnambulism nearly as much as they do in the book <laughs> they say it so many times and they never once call it sleepwalking so if i had i would be so confused I'm like what is this thing they keep sleepwalking why did they say sleepwalking what because they don't even question it like, the mom doesn't even, like, when the doctor says that, she's like, you mean somnambulism? Like, what? <laughs> Is that just what they called it in the 70s? Maybe. Maybe they did. I can barely say it. Writers are our own worst enemies. <laughs> we, we, literally, it's just like, this is a cool word. I'm going to use it a lot. And then everyone else oh. is like, what the fuck are you talking about? And there's a lot of medical diagnosis and psychiatry in the book. Like, yeah. there's a ton. So, okay. Anyway, I'll finish. I'll finish it up and talk about how it wraps up or how close it is next week. So, uh, but before we move on, what did we watch and how did we watch it? I watched stuff and things. Uh, I watched Scream. <laughs> I watched that uh, at a press screening. It is out in theaters this Friday and Archive 81, which is on Netflix this Friday. So I watched The Lost Boys, which is on Netflix as of now for the last, mm-hmm. I think, 10 days. Fango had a very nice joke tweet <laughs> about how long it was on. And that's actually why I watched it. So actually, thank you, Fango Social Media for letting me watch that. And you can watch Norway if you buy the Vinegar Syndrome Blu-ray. You can own it. Or I believe it is available on VOD as well as all their other properties. But I would just double-check that. And, I mean, hey, like, you get cool artwork if you buy a Vinegar Syndrome release. And you get my name on the box. So, like, do it. Like, just, <laughs> so just buy his name. Give and get a Dancing Vampire in return. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, I watched Jaws, which I have streaming on Amazon. Uh, 2001's Brother... 2001's Brotherhood of the Wolf, which I own on DVD, but it's also available on AMC Plus and Shudder, and The Exorcist Novel. All right, enough about what we've been watching this week. It's time for Megan to bring us up to speed on the news and trending topics in the world of horror. So what's going on, Megan? Uh, News that I know makes myself super thrilled, but also Matt. (laughs) 
Uh, Ultraviolet series, The Boys, is returning for season three in June. They are back in town. Uh, Amazon released a video announcement, which I think actually might have... Uh, they've been doing a recurring seven-on-seven kind of spoof news show on YouTube, dropping, I think, once a month. And this was tucked away at the end of that, and then they released it separately. Um, but it is returning to Prime Video on June 3rd, and similar what to, to what they did with Season 2, the eight-episode third season will drop the first three episodes on June 3rd, followed by one new episode a week until the finale streams July 8th. Uh, the Boys Season 3 will introduce Payback, which was Vought's premier team of soups before the Seven was formed, uh, Soldier Boy to be played by Supernatural alum Jensen Eccles. He led the group, which includes Crimson Countess, which was who will be played by Walking Dead's uh, Lori Holden, and Gunpowder, which is Jean Patrick Flannery. So yeah, I love this show so f much uh and i know it's a superhero show but it is gorier than a good chunk of horror right now so, yeah it's yeah. going places and i mean as megan did you read the comics I, I forget if i asked you this not really not i didn't get very far yeah i oh man i am so curious how far they are going to push this new storyline because they have already pump the brakes on some things to where we've gotten to at this point, but we are about to get like some war game shit, man. Like it's going to get wild. It's going to get, if you've seen the blood you're saying, uh, it's going to get worse. And I'm excited for that. I am super. So soldier boy, especially is their take on the, you know, captain America in a way. And, uh, what he is revealed to be, I cannot wait to see what Jensen Eccles does with that. Like, literally, I'm so excited for that one specific performance and what he brings to how I imagine if they stay close to the comics, uh, what Soldier Boy is going to do. Oh, man, I am I'm reviewing it for IGN and I cannot wait to get to work. Uh, You are also rewatching or not rewatching. You're watching Supernatural for the first time. So that probably adds a whole new uh, layer for you knowing what a nice guy Dean Winchester was. I am learning everything about it. And again, I am so excited for him to play this character It's in The Boys. This is something that I am not that familiar with. Um, but Fallout, a uh, popular video game series. Um, it was announced last summer that Westworld creators were developing a Fallout TV series for Amazon. And it's recently looks like it's finally moving forward with uh, Westworld's Jonathan Nolan at the helm. And the series will be co-developed by Amazon Studios and Jonathan Nolan and Lisa Joy's Kilter Films in association with Bethesda Game Studios and Bethesda Softworks. So, uh, yeah, it's Geneva Robertson Dorrit uh, behind 2018's Tomb Raider and Graham Wagner. They have also come on board as showrunners. Nolan will direct the premiere of the series, which is slated to begin production this year. Uh, Back in 2020, Joy and Nolan remarked that the Fallout series was one of the greatest of all time and that they had sunk countless hours into the characters and stories. Uh, For those that don't know, which is me, the Fallout series, which is uh, the Fallout series was initially created way back in 1997 by Interplay Productions and Black Isle Studios and centers on alternate mid 22nd century in the U.S. after global nuclear war. Survivors of the war inhabit underground bomb shelters known as vaults. The series is known for its retro-futuristic stylings along with dark humor and over-the-top violence. Which sounds like my jam. I don't know if I would like it video game form, but it definitely sounds like my jam story-wise. Um, and then more from Natalie Erica James. So again, this is news for me. 
Uh, Paramount Players has assembled an all-star squad for the latest horror offering, while Julia Garner got her start in our genre, starring in films such as Martha Marcy, May Marlene, Sin City, A Dame to Kill For, The Last Exorcism Part 2, and We Are What We Are. It was Ozark on Netflix, which is concluding later this month, that was her breakout performance, and she is set to top-line Paramount Players' Apartment 7A, which is being produced by Platinum Dunes and A Quiet Place director John Krasinski. The super team doesn't stop there because Relics, Natalie Erica James, are uh, she's attached to direct and co-write the latest script with Christian White based on a draft by Skylar James. It's described as a psychological thriller. Plot details, though, beyond that are under wraps. Either way, I was sold at Relics, Natalie Erica James. And uh, last but not least, a super mini thing that also amuses me because that's what my news is for. Uh, the Scream marketing is definitely going to be in overdrive this week, and they have uh, unveiled a browser game called Survive Scream House. It determines whether you'd survive a Scream movie. It's a basically virtually inviting you into one of the most iconic locations from the entire franchise, Stu Mocker's house from the original classic. It allows you to virtually travel through that house, kind of like uh, Google Maps style, while texting back and forth with Ghostface, and there's a trivia component to that that will help you survive or die. And if you want to play that, it's uh, survivescreamhouse.com. That simple. All right, listeners, your turn. Do you prefer when online surveys make major life decisions for you? Can't wait to see a good video game adaptation. (laughs) Appalled that I would make such a statement. Let's hear about it. Number is 224-475-1040. The number is also in the show notes. Or feel free to email speeddiscussingpodcast at gmail.com. Finally, Megan's going to make all our lives easier in the sea of horror movie options. And clue us in on what's appearing soon that we should be watching. So, Megan, what should we be watching? Already on Shudder when this episode drops. Uh, dropped on Monday. Uh, Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched, A History of Folk Horror which I highly do recommend. It is very long, comprehensive study, deep dive into the world, literally the world of folk horror. Um, So yeah, it's lengthy, but it's worthwhile. Uh, Tuesday, uh, Halloween Kills releases on Blu-ray and DVD. And then Friday is super busy. The Free Fall on VOD. A young woman must wrestle with her overbearing husband when she tries to take her own life. Stoker Hills, which sounds like a John jam. Three college students filming their own horror movie find themselves trapped in a nightmare. Their only hope are the detectives who find their camera. Uh, if hey. you are, you've got little ones, uh, Hotel Transylvania, Transformania hits Prime Video. It's the apparently the final chapter in this cute little animated series. And obviously, Scream hits theaters. And uh, if you want to live your life, there's Bloody Disgusting TV. Treat and yourself. Box. Yeah, treat yourself. I'm channeling Xena. And that's the Bloody Disgusting Podcast for this week, everyone. If you'd like to read more from Megan, you can check out her reviews at bloodydisgusting.com and on Twitter at Haunted Meg. Matt can be found at Donato Bomb on Twitter. And you can hear me on my weekly horror narration podcast, Creepy. Don't forget to hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app and feel free to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at BDisgustingPod or drop us an email at BDisgustingPodcast at gmail.com. And for even more content and rewards, check us out on patreon.com slash bedisgustingpod. So for this week, I'm John. I'm Megan. And I'm Matt. Grab some popcorn, cozy up on the couch, and watch something you love. Just make sure it's something bloody. <laughs>